Welcome to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we give you real tools to train ultimate humor performance both on and off the emergency scene. I'm your host, Kevin Housley. Let's get to it. All right, welcome to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we empower emergency responders to master stress resilience, foster a fulfilling career, and enrich your personal life. Today, I'm very excited to welcome my friend and longtime mentor, uh, Captain Sean Gray from the Cobb County Fire Department. Thanks for being with us, Sean. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. So it's, uh, it's always good to see your smiling face. So yeah, man, you picked up some overtime today. So we'll see what happens here. Um, if okay, it or not, but um, so I'm Sean, on... go, ahead. go ahead. No, I was gonna say I'm on the heavy rescue today. You know, cancel the squad. So uh, if we do catch something, we're probably gonna get canceled. I can just take you on the run with us. Okay. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. Hopefully, okay. hopefully it's something good. That's that's the goal. Yeah. All right. So, Sean, uh, kind of tell tell us who you are. Um, you've had kind of a quite the journey, right? You've worked for some huge departments, um, and you're yeah. you're really involved in lots of levels, which we'll definitely unpack throughout this conversation. Okay. So, uh, started in the fire service in 1993, and uh, working for a small two station department in South Central Los Angeles, City of Linwood Fire Department. Um, left uh, Los Angeles to follow a girl to Atlanta and uh, ended up in Atlanta working for another metro agency here in Atlanta called Clayton County Fire Department. Um, that was in 1999. And uh, I lateraled over from uh, Clayton County Fire Department to uh, Cobb County and been here now 21 years at Cobb County. And uh, my biggest reason for lateraling over uh, was because Clayton County had ambulances and uh, I'm a medic. And uh, so I was getting tired of, of riding on the ambulance every shift. You know, I wanted to be a firefighter. So uh, that was the biggest thing, trying to find a place that fit for me, um, large metro agency, um, you know, all the all the benefits of that. So um, here in the metro Atlanta area, the only two large departments that don't transport are the city of Atlanta and Cobb County. So um, I wanted to be part of one of those agencies. So that's how I ended up here. And then, man, really from there, just continued to get engaged and, uh and grow um and uh you know for anywhere from volunteer work which you know that's how you, you and i tie in right with terry Farrell firefighters fund and uh getting just getting to meet people around the fire service to um writing an article uh because bill gustin asked me to do that and told me i was going to do it he didn't really ask me he really just told me i was going to write an article and uh, so i wrote my first article and then from there, that led to a class at FDIC, and then it just, man, just kind of went crazy from there. So, um, you know, all everything from UL and and uh, all my involvement in the National Fire Service is all because of Bill Gustin. It's a pretty big name drop right off the top there, Sean. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't because I knew him. It was because he came here to teach for our department, and we invited him to eat dinner at our firehouse. And, uh, so he's here just, just normal old eating dinner at a firehouse and fires come up. We start talking about fires. And one of the guys is like, yeah, tell them about your fire. Great. So I tell him about this fire that I had and, uh, had a little bit of a near miss and, you know, things almost got bad for us. And so I told him the story and he's like, you need to write an article on that. And I was like, uh, man, I'm a driver in Cobb County. I don't know anything about writing a magazine article. And, uh, yeah. So from there he, um, we exchanged emails and I just figured it was one of those conversations that, you know, ah, we will never talk about anything again. And uh, about a week later, he emailed me and said, where's the rough draft? And I was like, oh, crap, this guy's serious. 
<laughs> and uh, so that's how it all started, man. It, uh, I got to give credit to Bill because uh, I wouldn't be anywhere. I'd probably just be here working overtime, you know, not doing anything else in the fire service if it wasn't for him. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Gustin is definitely a legend, you know, and I've had yeah. the opportunity to take a class from him back at that Terry Fun conference that was in Las Vegas where he taught a high rise class. And right, we were stretching lines in Frank Sinatra's suite. That was pretty. Pretty cool <laughs> on the twenty second floor of that hotel. Super cool. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really really cool to watch um, guys like Bill, and now you're one of the old codgers of the fire service, right? Of yeah, um, yeah. you know to to really kind of take those opportunities and take a a young impressionable firefighter or driver under their wing and say, hey, you have some value to share. Obviously, all of us have value, but you have some value to share based on the experiences that you've lived and learned and. Um, let's talk about that fire a little bit, you know, because like you said, that kind of set a course and we'll, we'll dive into the laundry list of organizations and, and impacts sure. that you currently make, you know, so let's talk about that because I think it really ties into what we do here on firefighter craftsmanship, which is that mental side of the game. And, uh, not every day is a great day in the fire service, um, yeah. multitudes of levels, but, um, kind of give us just a brief synopsis of what happened on that call. Yeah, you know, so um, I was riding backwards, a firefighter at the time, didn't have any rank and uh, no decision-making processes, you know, and so we pull up on a working fire and uh, you see that there's fire in the back of the house, um, pretty good working fire, and we have a rookie with me, it's his very first fire. So we get off, we pull the line, officer goes around to do a 360, and, and I'm really working for the officer that day that's, man, not a great officer, right? They're not getting dressed with us, they're not putting on their air pack, they're not coming in with us. So I stretch a line to the front door just because that's at the time, that's what we had always done. <clears throat> Get to the line to the front door, hand the nozzle to the rookie. And the officer comes back around from completing the 360. And I'm like, hey, where do you want the line? He's like, oh, yeah, front door. So get the door open. Um, and uh, man, it is chugging smoke out the front door, like great fire. And that's, I always say, you know, I remember that thinking that like, damn, I didn't have this good of a fire. It was my first fire, you know, like this guy's got a great first fire. So we go inside and, uh, you know, um, not having any experience in fire dynamics or understanding anything about flow path or reading smoke or any of that at the time, chalk the door wide open and uh, go in, get probably less than 10 feet inside. And it's really, really hot. Zero visibility and things are bad. Um, and uh, I remember being, you know, like, crap, I don't have an officer in here with me to kind of tell us what we're going to do or, you know, what, what should we do? So try to continue to push forward. And at the time I had, you know, I guess about uh, 10 years on or so. And so I felt like I was a little bit salty as a firefighter. And so I was like, oh yeah, push further, you know? So we push further, things continue to get worse. And uh, we're now down really low. Um, our ears are burning and we're getting very hot. I'm telling him, open up the line. He's opening the line up. We can't see any fire. It's just blackout. And uh, so he opens up the line, nothing gets better. And so I just was like, had a bad feeling. I was like, man, you know, let's turn around, let's get out of here. So we turn around and as soon as we come out the front door, I mean, at passing the threshold, the whole thing lights off, melted the back of our gear and everything else. And so then I realized like, I was like, oh, well, at first I was like, oh, crap, that was pretty close. You know, like uh, no big deal. And the chief's there and he's like, hey, take your line around the rear and I get around the rear. And we're standing on the exterior and the whole back of this house, like one third of the house is burning. And I'm like, why the hell did we not bring the line here in the first place? Right. So I kind of started to get a little angry at the officer because I was already thinking that he was not a great officer to be working for anyways. So then we get back to the station 
And I'm like, hey, um, so why exactly did we go in that front door? And I was like, oh, got to go from the unburned side. And so that's where the whole class attack from the burn side came from, which is kind of getting rid of those old adages, right? And kind of challenging the narrative. Um, and man, I um, I dug in. Uh, it caused me to get super engaged in the fire service. Um, and uh, I had a mental reaction to it because at the time, um, my son, who is now uh, almost 19, uh, he was a baby. And I had this brand new baby at home and felt like, hey, man, you can no longer be like, tough guy fireman and just going in there and, you know, kicking down doors and you got responsibilities you got to come home to. So that like definitely affected me mentally thinking about him as like, Hey, I got a responsibility. I got to come home to this kid. So I want to do what's the best for the fire service safest for me. And, uh, and that's where I found, you know, NIST and all of the UL studies and started learning about fire. And that's where it, that's how I started getting into it, man. It's all from just from that one fire kind of triggered something in me to get engaged, you know? Yeah, from uh, from pain comes change, right? Absolutely. And you had, I mean, you had a lot of things kind of line up that I think most of us can relate to. First off, you know, you're a ten year guy. You're on your third department, so you've probably seen some stuff. You definitely saw some stuff when you worked in South Central LA, right? Yeah. And so uh, maybe from the EMS perspective, but you had a lot of experiences, and it's not like that was the first time you were in a stressful situation. Unlike your no, post- for sure you know, the word yeah. Probie, yeah. first fire. So, um, yeah. and no, then- and the, the department I worked for on the South side of Atlanta, it's Clayton County fire department. That's a, they have a ton of fire down there, very heavy fire load. And, um, so that was kind of one of the sacrifices I made coming to Cobb was like, not going to get as much fire, but, uh, definitely, you know, a better move. Um, because it's one of those agencies that just kind of, a, you know, everybody knows there's those agencies out there that go to a lot of fire but they're probably not the best agency to work for. And you're running 20 plus calls a shift. And you're just getting freaking beat down every shift, you know, and you can only last that for so long, man. That's, that's the reality. You know, we see it here in Metro Atlanta all the time, guys leaving DeKalb County, Clayton County, city of Atlanta, leaving those places with a high call volume and going to other departments because they, they want to try to make it a career, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm fortunate to, uh, to still go to a busy agency and uh, be able to continue my career. Yeah, that's great. We'll unpack that for sure, for sure. So let's okay. talk about that right. fire. Like, wh- roughly, what year was that? Like, how long ago was that? Uh, that would be uh, two thousand and five, early two thousand and five. So probably this time of year, two thousand five. Great. So way before really NIST had done a ton of stuff in relation to fire science study that was well known. Way before yep. ULFSRI was developed, um, you know, really the biggest thing was was the kitchen table education your fire academy whether that was great or not and then you know attending there at that time there was probably one major conference right yeah shoot i didn't even dude at that time i didn't even know what fdic was i'd never even heard of fdic you know now i've been there 12 years running so (laughs) yeah yeah okay cool so yeah that's almost well 19 years ago already right when that fire kind of expose some things right there and it puts you you know essentially you were that senior firefighter at least to the probie you were because you were working together you know it sounds like the officer wasn't ever had the intention to go inside with you it's like well i got a 10-year guy maybe you were trained to be an officer maybe not i don't know if you acted up or not but that probie was probably really looking at you of well he's been around the block a couple times so i'm gonna do everything that they tell me um, and luckily it worked out in a positive fashion, but it also changed a lot of really, really good things for the fire service, right? That one call there, because you were willing to say, Hey, 
here's, here's the mistakes I made. Here's the lessons I learned. Like maybe here's the approach and mentality from everything from strategy and tactics all the way through mindset. Um, that for sure now, 20 years later made a huge impact. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't think I ever realized that that fire was going to make that, that kind of impact, you know, and, um, and I, honestly, I, you know, I give the credit to Gustin because that's, it was all about him, you know, um, it was all about him encouraging me and, and kind of being that person. And you talked about having those people that you run into in life um, and those relationships that you kind of start to foster. And for me, that was definitely Bill Gustin of like, <clears throat> just kind of being like, Hey, no, you, you need to talk about this. You need to, t to tell this fire and tell this story. And, uh, and that's really, and I honestly, I didn't know even what that meant at the time. I didn't even know that I had a story to tell. Right. And, uh, but him being somebody of, of his stature, kind of understanding that was like, no, yeah, you definitely have a story to tell. So I think it's important for all of us, you know, to, as we become more senior members to kind of see that in a younger guy and say, Hey man, that was a pretty crazy situation. You need to talk about that. You need to, because honestly, I think it's probably healthy for us as well. You know, I've, I've told that story hundreds of times now, and uh, I still get emotional thinking about it. You know, still thinking about it, even though I got a 19 year old who's six foot two with a big, huge afro, right? <laughs> big red afro, and so he's a college kid, and so. But I, yeah, think about that. Like, hey man, that was actually pretty close, right? And. um and realizing that, because I think there's a lot of people in life that have probably had close calls and maybe didn't actually recognize it, you know, um, and that, that, it scared me a little bit, you know, it scared me for sure. And so that was something that I wanted to get better at. And so that that never happened again. Yeah. And how easy has it been to in that one call there and then that first article and then the class that came out of that attack from the burn side? How easy was it for you personally to actually share that story? Um, was that well-received or not? Like, I, I remember having a conversation about when you first taught at FDIC and it was basically like people brought in rotten tomatoes and were throwing at you. Like, sure. Yeah. I think because it was misunderstood, right. It was that kind of that misinformation campaign back then was like, Oh, this guy wants to fight every fire from the outside. And that's really not what the class is about at all. You know, I can remember, uh, have people come and sit down in the class and like, Hey man, I actually came to listen to your class. And had a completely different thought process of what it was going to be about. Thought it was going to be all about exterior and transitional attack and all that stuff. And it's not about that at all, right? It's about like getting that first line into place to the base of the fire and whatever that is, like what's the smartest, fastest way to get water on the fire. Um, and that's really what the class is about. So kind of changing people's mindsets along the way, but you know, it took me probably, oh man, I bet you it was the first five years of teaching that class where I was a hundred percent hated you know, and uh, so, and really went to battle, ended up going to battle with some of the biggest names in the fire service, you know, about fire attack. Um, and now if you look at some of those people that I went to battle with, they're out there teaching the same UL research that I'm teaching. So um, yeah, so it all, it all worked out in the end, you know, once we got everybody together and um, you know, I think Kerber did a very wise thing by inviting some of the haters onto the fire attack study. Um, because that allowed for them to kind of see what the research was really about and uh, really started to change things for the positive. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And just amazing work has been done. Um, lots of keyboard commandos out there talking smack about sure. the UL and that they're, you know, limiting our strategy and tactics and all that. And unfortunately, that's, we can go back to all of our stuff about mindset, right? And the narrative that we tell ourselves and things like that. And, and really the fact of the matter is, is UL is providing scientific research that is peer reviewed. <clears throat> um, they're pretty much the only one in the world doing that. 
Let's just call it like it is. It's not a blog post. Sure. It's an actual fire scientists that have PhDs in this stuff. And they're looking at things to help increase and expand our um, options. And then you, it's up to you to implement them based on your staffing model and building construction type and on and on and on. Yeah, I think, you know, the perfect example of that is uh, the search study. You know, a lot of people, I think, going into the search study thought, oh, great. UL is going to come in here and tell us that, hey, there's there's no reason even to go search anymore because if anybody's inside of a structure, they're dead, right? And uh, if they're exposed to smoke or fire, that there's they're not survivable. And it actually is opposite of that. What we learned out of the search study was there's a lot more survivable spaces than we previously thought. And so here we are being, uh, I you know, I like to say more aggressive, right? We're smarter, faster, and more aggressive on the fire ground because of firefighter safety research. And uh, I mean, that's to me that that's where it's at, right? I mean, if it wasn't for this stuff, it wasn't for Dan Mazurkowski and Steve Kerber at UL. Um, I don't think I would know half of what I know today. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you think for you personally, I mean, it's kind of hard to, to step up and show up and have maybe somebody, you know, who's trying to be a little bit cutting edge to say, hey, let's let's bring Sean Gray in, this dude that nobody's heard of. He wrote one article um, and let's have him teach this class. And you know that you're going to take some crap. Um, for that, you know, they might be all in as the host, but you, so where do you think that that like mentality and mindset, like, how are you able to do that? Yeah, you know, uh, it depends on the agency. So one of the things that I always try to do, and, um, and again, I, I learned it from Gustin was, um, whatever agency that I'm going to speak at, like I try to learn about them, right. And learn about their built environment, their staffing levels, uh, their call volume, fire volume, all that kind of stuff. So I can kind of speak to, what are they seeing on a day to day? You know, try to get there a day early, go speak with some of the people in the station, you know, just like I've done there with you guys there in PFA and uh, just kind of hang out, get to learn your department. Right. Because then you can kind of, I'm not just coming from, you know, a Metro agency in, in Atlanta that might be completely different than of a built environment, say in like Southern California. And so um, those types of things I think are important. And, uh, and then trying to understand the culture of that agency. And man, I'll just tell you, I mean, I've had some rough roads, right. Been taught at FDNY. And, uh, you know, that's a challenge. Those guys are, that's a whole different culture where they're like screaming and yelling at each other in the room. And you're just like standing back like, Whoa, it's super aggressive. And, uh, you know, places like that, uh, Stockton, you know, that kind of stuff was definitely like some challenging, salty experienced places. Right. And, uh, I think once you kind of, when you don't come in as, as threatening, um, because when you kind of come in with the UL background and that kind of stuff, like it, it can be threatening, right? You you are coming in as somebody that maybe the fire chief uh, is looked at as like, this guy's coming in to try to change us. We're going to fight every fire from the outside and all that stuff. And once they kind of get to know us, like, hey, that's actually not what we're trying to do at all. We're just trying to provide you guys with some data and some research and show you that there might be a more efficient way than what you're currently doing things. And, um, and, and especially like I bring up the search thing, because that's where I... I think that, that really starts to change. And um, if you do historically look a deep dive on Cobb County, we do a ton of vent search. search. Um, we're very successful with um, having civilian rescues. And from when I started my career here in Cobb, man, we used to just find dead bodies like an overhaul, right? And uh, we just didn't have a culture of search. And then we've had <clears throat> that culture change here in Cobb for the better and, um, and you know, really guys here in my department got super passionate about it and 
um, and now has really changed kind of the search culture across the nation. So it's been pretty cool to watch. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here, right? You said something earlier, which was challenge the narrative. And I think we're going to build this entire conversation off of that one state. Okay. Right? And so, <laughs> right. You challenge the narrative with the attack from the Burnside class and you're willing to take some licks and learn along the way and look at other people's opinions and their experiences. You've been able to challenge the narrative with your involvement with UL um, for sure. Um, and, you know, now you're talking about aggressive search culture and, and guys there, you know, Martinez and dudes like that, that are really challenging yeah. the narrative and saying, Hey, wait a minute. I don't know. I think we can be better. And then they've put in the hard work and they've taken the licks and they've spent the time at the fire Academy and they've done their research and they've won some and they've lost some. And, you know, now it's making an impact across the country, which is really, really cool. Yeah. You know, I I'll use our, uh, our relationship with LA County, you know, so Cobb and LA County have a pretty special relationship. There's a big group of us that have been teaching live fire training for uh, 10 plus years now together and, um, you know, here we are on one side, all the Cobb guys doing Benner search stuff, right? And, and really kind of teaching the search part of that class. L.A. County's teaching the fire attack and fire behavior part. Um, and then they were a department that wasn't doing Benner search. It's not part of the culture, right? First two trucks are going to the roof and search is not part of their culture. And now that is finally come 10 years later because some of the guys that were involved in our group are in training and they're starting to change that narrative. Right. So now it's talking about, Hey, search before vent and getting people to kind of realize that. And it's awesome to see departments like LA County, who was always a department that was going to go in the front door, search off of a hose line. And that was just kind of something that they did. Right. Um, and now it's starting to change where they're doing VES and we're starting to hear stories coming out of LA County about civilian rescues and, all that kind of stuff, you know, and really just looking at buildings and differently, right. Is that's how we kind of change things here was we look at the buildings differently. So one, we look at the building for fire attack and then two, we look at it for search. And so you're either doing a search size up or you're doing a fire attack extinguishment size up. And, um, and that's kind of how we look at every single fire. Those are our pillars in Cobb County. Right. Um, and then we just go after those two pillars of our fire ground. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Awesome. Right. And it, it shows again, the power of relationships, you know, we started with yeah. the relationship that you and I have developed over however many years, um, you know, starting with the Terry fund, you working in Georgia, me here in Colorado, and then it growing, you know, into working together at MAFC, getting a chance to teach with you goofballs yeah. from Cobb and uh, those <laughs> hilarious dudes from LA County um, and the flow path class and all of that, you know, and um I still will stand by my statement of, I have no idea how you do it with all the humidity, right? <clears throat> I remember sitting next to a guy from Savannah, Georgia at Mafsey there, and he's in his blue pants and a t-shirt. He just took his bunker gear off and that's what he's wearing underneath on a class that he's there on his own accord. And it's like 90 degrees, hundred percent humidity. And I was pretty sure I was going to die. And he was like, Oh, this is nothing. Like this is a nice spring day. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. Those Savannah guys, it's, yeah, it's rough down there, Savannah. It's worse in Savannah than it is here for sure. Yeah, so my mentality yeah. going to the South and training there is it needs some work with my mindset for sure. So, <laughs> you know, but the power of relationships. And then, like you mentioned earlier, you know, I think we're hearing a lot of people that are very, very frustrated in the fire service across the country. And and you'll hear that term, the golden handcuffs. You know, it's a hard career to get into and it's a harder one to leave, you know, because of um you know, getting to spend more time with your family, even though we work longer hours than the average Joe, 
Um, but you have some really, really good benefits um, as far as time with your family, time off. Um, the pay is is pretty good in most places, um, great in some places, you know, and so and then retirement packages and healthcare and things like that. But I think you made a fantastic point earlier of it, it your career is up to you, you know, and you get to drive that. What does that mean? Are you going to come to work and be all pissed off every day? Are you going to come in and and uh, try to make positive change and realize that positive change is going to take some serious work and you're going to take some knocks along the way. Um, and if it's an environment that just doesn't suit you anymore, then look to change that, you know? And so that's a thing I think, what do you think about, I mean, do you think that the fire services are going to continue to be a 25, 30 year average career? Or are we going to start to see that change? Because every municipality, big or small, is increasing exponentially every year based on call volume. Yeah, you know, um, I, it seems like the younger kids kind of just chase the dollar, right? And so like uh, because their retirements have gone away, um, they've gone to more of the 401k style. And uh, so somebody will come in and they're like, you know what? I think I'll try out being a firefighter for five years. And, you know, they're 21 years old. And then by the time they're 26, they're like, ah, I'm good. I think I'm going to go do whatever now. Right. And so I know that we're, it's more of a transitional society like that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do here in Cobb and, uh, you know, it's a big passion of mine is trying to build that inclusiveness, right. And, um, and creating that kind of that family environment, and showing people here that this is, it's about special connections and people that you work with and, you know, those type of things that, uh, that you're, when you're, your days at the firehouse, you're with family. Right. And, um, I see that the, the stations that have that bond and have that family bond, right. I'm working at one today. Um, you know, they're in there sitting at the kitchen table right now, drinking coffee, right. Everybody's in there together, but the stations that don't have that, that are isolated and everybody's on their own. You know, those are the ones that have people resigning because they're going to do something else because they sit at the station all day and they don't have any interaction, social interaction. And so um, I think that that's a huge part of it. And uh, that's something that you know, I'm, I'm trying to implement here in Cobb to try to get back to our fire academy, you know, is like try to create those bonds from the very beginning um, and uh, and just continue to push forward to the pay and the benefits might not be great anymore. Right. They're not as good as they were. That they don't the new kids don't have the retirement that I have, right? But if they can, if we can get them to stay here for a reason, you know, and and have the it's all about the why, right? And like if you can explain to them the why and the bigger picture of why you're here, and having that family inclusion time is is huge. And uh, and and there's some people will say because they want to do that, and then others won't. Others will go off and do their thing. You know, they maybe they weren't didn't want to be firefighters in the beginning. They just thought they'd try it out, but. Um, so I feel like that's a huge part, right? If we can include inclusive, make a very inclusive environment, make it a family environment, we'll be more successful. Yeah. And have fun, have some good, hard conversations, um, work hard together, give people tools to be successful. And that's really the angle that we're trying to explore very, very heavily through firefighter craftsmanship is that mental fitness side. So let's talk sure. a little bit about mental fitness. Cause you've kind of had a <laughs> long time life I would probably call it a hobby of yours is, is fitness. So, um, <laughs> sure. how is, how is your hobbies or tell us a little bit about what you're into even still, even kind of as an older guy, um, what do you like to do? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm still out there riding mountain bikes and, you know, that kind of stuff and, uh, still very active. And I'm actually coming out to, uh, Colorado next week, snowboarding with my now teenage sons and, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, just cause I'm a little older, 
Um, Dustin's not going to hold me back for sure. Um, but yeah, over the years, you know, I, um, I always enjoyed running and that came from an early thing early on in the fire Academy where I started running to get in shape and, uh, and then I just kind of learned to enjoy it. And so I wanted to always thought that'd be cool to run a marathon. And so I went and ran my first marathon and then I was like, okay, what's next? Right. Cause I had the bug and then I saw an Ironman on television, you know? So I was like, hell yeah, I want to do the Ironman. I want to be an Ironman. Let me do that. Right. So um, I signed up for an Ironman, not having any idea what the hell I was doing. And uh, so my first Ironman was pretty rough. I made it, but uh, <laughs> um, I took a lot of hard knocks, a lot of lessons. And then from there, I kind of got into that for a little while. And um, I did triathlon stuff for, oh man, a probably a period, good period of maybe over 10 years and uh, completed three full distance Ironmans. Um I think I did eight half Ironmans and a ton of marathons and all that kind of stuff along the way. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, that just keeps you in constant shape. Right. Um, so cardiovascular wise, I, I feel like I'm still in pretty good shape. Um, we actually just did our NFPA physicals and I was still in the excellent range for my VO two max. But what's funny is, you know, competition wise here at the station, I was just telling the story this morning. I got a guy who at my station is 25 years younger than me. And, uh, he's like, he beat me by like one number on our VO two max. But when you looked at our ranges, cause of my age category, his age category, he was in the poor category and I was in the excellent category, but he's like, no, I beat you by that one. And you're an iron man. And just, you know, give me all this crap. He got, he beat me by one number. But, uh, so, you know, I think just long time physical fitness, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a combination there too. You know, I, um, I definitely probably still right now as I'm getting older, need to get uh, into the weight room some more and do some more. I like to do body weight stuff, you know, cause I, the weights, man, I, they tear you up, you know, I've seen so many guys over the years squatting, all that kind of stuff and trying to lift heavy and hurt themselves. They have bad backs. And, um, I've been fortunate that I have any of those injuries, you know, so I try, I kind of try to stick to the body weight stuff. Yeah. And so you're making it relevant, right? But I think you make a yeah. great point. And, and we've talked to plenty of triathletes and things like that over the years that are saying, man, I was, I was a great triathlete. And then, you know, I had to go to the roof and that kicked my butt, you know? And so it's this absolutely balance, you know? So, um, I think you hit on some great points there of just creating that culture within yourself first and chasing what you like to do, right. Being outside is fun. And so if you like riding mountain bikes, do that, but then also make sure you're doing some sort of, of work with weights. You know, you have to incorporate deadlifts. You have to incorporate odd object stuff like brute force sandbags is a big supporter of the firefighter craftsmanship podcast. And yep. we know that at some point, probably today, multiple companies in Cobb County, Georgia are going to have to pick up Mrs. Smith who's stuck between the toilet and the shower. And they're going to be in a compromised body position in doing that. And so, you know, that one call could be the last time that you run um, on the rig because you're going to hurt your back because you didn't do any ob object training, you know, or you, all you were focused on was, was running on the treadmill or whatever. And so it's, it's kind of variable and that kind of keeps it more fun and more engaging along the way. Yeah, no, I, and even like, you know, just using today as an example. So I'm working overtime today and I'm riding backwards, right? So I'm on, the, I'm the cut man, you know, so if we catch a, we catch a fire, uh, I'm on the saw on the roof. And then if I'm, if we catch an extrication, I'm on the tools. I'm on the cutting. So I'm cutting today. Well, like I still have to physically be able to handle those tools 
and be able to, you know, to be able to use all that stuff. And that's a definitely a young man's game, but at the same time, you know, the guy I'm working with today, uh, the captain is, uh, you know, we've known each other a long time. So it's like, yeah, he knows that I can physically do it. He wouldn't have put me in that position if he didn't know that I could, you know, physically do it. So, um, yeah, so that, that's one of those things. It's just kind of constantly trying to stay in shape. Right. And, um, I don't like getting passed by the younger guys, you know, like I, I want to stay, like, I still want to be one of the fittest guys in the station if I can, you know, and, uh, but that's a hard thing to do as, as age starts to catch up with you. Yeah, no doubt. What do you think the key is? What's like one or two keys for playing the long game in the fire service? Man, I think uh, consistency is probably one of the biggest things, right? And then kind of challenging yourself mentally. Like for me, that's what I had to do was like continuously challenging myself, right? Was the, um, like with the Ironman stuff is, um, you know, the thing about doing finishing Ironman, it's not about the day, the actual day of the event. It's the uh, year leading up to it, right? And so it's these very long training days, time away from your family, um, and that's, it's about the mental sacrifice and you get beat down. And then on race day, if you don't have a good day and have, uh, don't have your, your nutrition in place, um, it's a mental beat down, you know? Um, but I think that also Ironmans and things like that are kind of good for the mental game for the fire service, you know? Um, believe me, some of those long, those long training days or long rides on the bike, five hours on the bike, um, you get a lot of thought process. There's nothing else to do but to kind of work out some of those demons that you have and, you know, think about some of those calls that you've seen and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it allows you to kind of do that coping stuff. So that's one of those things where I think for me, that's been a healthy thing. And, um, and also, I'm, you know, I'm not afraid to, to talk about that stuff either. You know, it's, uh, that's one thing um, with the mental game is that you got to be able to come back here and have a conversation about it. And, you know, if you see something that's messed up, you know, dead kids and stuff like that, it's like, Hey man, let's, that, that kind of sucked. That was kind of gnarly. Let's, let's have a conversation about that. Everybody good. You know, and a lot of times everybody, you just work it out if you're having those conversations, you know, but um, it's the times where you keep things quiet, keep things sheltered in that, uh, that aren't good. Yeah, for sure. What kind of resources do you guys have at Cobb? Um, either, you know, resilience, like I like to preach, let's build resilience before we need it, which you just talked about using fitness to do that, but also being mindful of like, man, I'm in the suck and I have two more hours to go on the bike and I'm not yes. stopping. Right. Like, yeah, um, that's very, very relevant to our job. Um, so what sort of resources are you guys providing to, to firefighters at Cobb right now? Yeah. So we have all of our peer support stuff. You know, we have a peer support team and things like that. Um, I think that model meets a lot of resistance these days. Um, you know, if, if a bad call happens, the last thing that uh, people want to see is somebody that they don't know from the agency um, that may not even have that great of a reputation, maybe on the peer support team because of they're trying to get promoted or something like that. You know, that's one of the problems with the peer support team is it kind of puts you in the spotlight. Right. So guys use it to try to um, pat their own resume. But uh, and that's the exact reason not to be on that team. But um, so for us, that's I feel like that that here in our culture, that's not a that's not a good plan anymore. But um, but what we have done is we actually have our own mental health professional that we've hired um, here for public safety. She only works for Cobb County Fire and Police um, and uh, which is pretty cool. And she's like on call 24 seven. And so if something happens, something goes down. Um, she's always there to contact. And then we have a pretty strong local union right now. And uh, that's one thing that the union has really been able to push. Like we've sent off some firefighters up to the center of excellence 
I think we've had uh, four or five go now um, total in about a, the last year. And that was a resource that we didn't have in the past that our former uh, union leaders basically told us like, oh, yeah, no, we don't have ability to have that or they're not in the union. So they're, they uh, they don't get that resource and all these excuses. Right. But it was because they didn't understand the resources themselves. And our new leadership has changed a lot of that. And we've sent some people off and been very successful um, with the Center of Excellence and IFF. And um, it really got some people that were in some pretty dark places um, back to a normal life again. Awesome. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, you know, the presilience concept is still a little bit new for the, for the fire service and it is you no, know, yeah. our um, presilience for the, for the emergency scene class that we have for firefighter craftsmanship or the things like Rick George is doing. Um, MAFC Rick is always at MAFC with his crew of awesome dudes. And um, you've been involved in some of those classes that Rick has done. And so I'd encourage you, everybody out there, you know, continue to push the envelope and reach out to us for some help with how do we design some of these systems on let's start reaching them when they're young. Um, it's a great time yeah. to have a couple days in the fire Academy on uh, let's have some of these conversations like Sean and I are having now, right? We've covered a lot of stuff. We've covered the why we've talked about guiding principles. So if you need a downloadable for that, check out episode 12. We got a whole downloadable on guiding principles, developing your why helps you develop that culture internally and at the firehouse. Um, we've talked about relationships and how important those are surrounding yourself with mentors. We've talked about challenging the narrative and getting ready for taking <laughs> some smack along the way and perseverance. Like we've talked about fitness, you know, all of those things are those resources that when you run that fire and it's your very first time you're doing a VES, you're like, Holy moly. Well, you have this good foundational mental fitness um, where you're able to perform. And then you're also talking about the culture after the call, right? Some of us have amazing peer support teams. Some of us have cultures where maybe it's being misused a little bit or not very well developed. Um, but then you have a, a clinician that's there. And so there's so many, so many different ways for us to make sure that we're mentally fit before, during, and after. Uh, and I really encourage you to use all of those as kind of like what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a, um, I just took a class uh, through the unions called the IFF Mental Resiliency class. And man, I'm just going to tell you, as an older salty guy, I sat in there at the beginning and I was like, oh, come on, this is like BS, really? Like, this is what we're doing. We're doing breathing techniques. and But then I was like, okay, embrace this, right? Like, take it serious. And so then once I started embracing it and talking about like all of the things, fantastic class. So I would look that up, the IFF Mental Resiliency class. Um, it's great. We're actually trying to bring it here to Cobb and uh, we want all of our lieutenants, all of our new officers to go through it because it's really about trying to create that positive environment in your own firehouse and, and around your own people and uh, giving people time to breathe. And um, I mean, they do like group yoga classes and all those type of things. Right. Um, and that's kind of goes in line with a lot of the stuff that I talked about mentally, right. Those long days on the bike, just kind of like thinking throughout a lot of, a lot of stuff, you know? So that's a huge resource right there. And then I think the one thing we haven't touched on is uh personal relationships, right? So um, man, don't be like me. Don't be such a hard charger, right? And try to change the world as a, cause you'll end up getting a divorce, you know? So uh, it's one of those things where um, there's a, definitely a, a fine balance. It's great to be engaged, but don't be too engaged. Right. Um, and, uh, and try to, you know, try to create a, a good balance there for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one of the episodes I did was called psychological detachment from work and got some pretty great phone calls from some people that were like, 
is that honestly a thing? I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And so <laughs> I think uh, we could, we could go for hours and hours and I want to be respectful of your time here, you know, but I think yeah. um, figure out that balance and there is no such thing as work-life balance. I don't care what career you're in. You can be an accountant and have no work-life ba balance, you know, but just figure out what lights you up, chase those things, but make sure you're also um, still being true to yourself and still being true to the the oath that you took on that day. And uh, you're putting in the work on basic skills, but you're also taking care of yourself mentally and physically. It's very, very important. And when it's time that you're not doing those things, reach out for help um, and potentially look to go do something else. And that's totally okay. And so like you talked about, you know, that 21 year old firefighter comes in and five, six years are like, okay, I'm good, man. That's awesome. You know, I hope you put it out there for five or six years. Now go crush it doing something else, you know, and that's, that's that mentality that, that I'm in full support of. Yeah, no, we have, a, you know, we have a sign on the back of the station. It's one of part of our culture and it says be here now. And um, that comes from Jerry Wells, a retired chief out of Texas. And uh, what he's talking about mean being here now, like it's over top of our entry door. When you come into the back of the firehouse, it means be at the firehouse. Like if there's a, if there's things that are bothering you mentally and that kind of stuff, you have family issues, then, then don't be here. Right. Like you need to, we need you here mentally focused, be all in all the time at the firehouse and uh, being engaged. And really that's what that's about, right? Because there are people who show up to work that aren't engaged. They're going to get on their iPad and they're trying to binge watch, uh, you know, their latest episode of whatever. And, uh, and being here now is, is a huge part of our culture. And so, um, and then, like I said, again, that that's what creates the inclusiveness, right? You get around those crews that everybody's in and, uh, and that's what, you know, really makes you have a long career. Yeah. Well, and you guys are setting that standard right away at the Cobb County Training Center where that be here now is on the burn house, right? It's on the, that's right. It's on the tower. Yeah. Yeah. So yep. awesome stuff. Well, I just, I want to take just a couple more minutes, a couple questions. So I'm liking asking this of all of our guests now, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges, like one or two um, that departments in the fire service in the United States is facing as a whole? Yeah, recruitment and retention by far the biggest thing, right? So that's our one of our huge challenges. Um, you know, uh, we have a lot of we had some issues here with diversity, equity, inclusion, right? Is that uh, you know that's kind of a buzzword right now, but really I talked about inclusiveness a lot today, and that's what that is about: trying to make a work environment inclusive, and maybe that will help our recruitment and retention. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. That is the exact same answer that I'm getting from every single guest that I've asked that. <laughs> so um, uh, and I think, you know, you've talked about a lot of different ways to do that establishing that like a true family environment, you know, and not a family when something goes wrong, but a family all the time. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're not busting each other's chops a little bit. Right. But we're also supporting folks um, when it's not something terrible going on, you know, just on a day to day checking in having relationships with people where, you know, like as the captain on your crew, you know, when Joe walks in, who's or whatever assigned to you, you know, I don't know any of the guys assigned to your company, but you know, yeah. as soon as that firefighter walks in, you're like, Oh, something's off, you know, and maybe it's just, they didn't sleep or maybe they got something going on at home or they don't feel very good. But right away, you know, with your group of, of firefighters, what's up, you know, and those, those relationships are very, very important. Yeah. And yeah, I think, and then also having that open relationship to where, especially as an officer, right? Like if one of my guys, something else with like, I'm going to go have a conversation with him. We're going to have a private, Hey man, you good? Need to get out of here. Like 
you have to be supportive. And if he says, no, man, I'm actually not good. Hey, dude, get out of here. All right. Send him home for the day. Shut down the rig. Call the chief. Get somebody else to come over there. You know, that's what you got to do to take care of your people and, you know, get them into a place where they feel comfortable to be able to come to you and go, yeah, man, hey, things are a little off today. You know, I got this going on at the house or, you know, that you just got to be able to support that. And um, and I think that that's one of the things that the younger people want, right? Like they want to be able to, they want to know that you care about them. And, um, and that's biggest thing for fire department leadership, that if you can get a fire chief that really proves to his people that, you know, we really care about them. And I think you'll get people to stay, you know, and they're not going to be leaving. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Support them, you know, before they work for your organization, support them while they do and support them after they leave um, and yep. give them those resources and pave that way. So, well, thank you, Sean. I think we could probably talk for a couple hours on all this stuff. You know, I have a <laughs> yeah, bunch buddy. of other talking points that we didn't reach at all. So I'll, I'll uh, hopefully get you back on here at some point. <clears throat> we can unpack some of those things. Um, but hey, we appreciate all that you do for the American Fire Service. And I know you're sticking your neck out there a lot. Um, you're out there with some pretty big named acronym organizations currently trying to make sure that firefighters have a voice, um, you know, and we really, really do appreciate that. And so how can people reach you if you're so inclined or want to share that information? Oh, dude. Yeah, I'm happy to share, man. Yeah, just uh, FF as in firefighter and then Sean Gray spelling my name, S-E-A-N-G-R-A-Y at gmail.com. FF Sean Gray at gmail.com. Email me. I'm happy to send you anything, share anything with you. That's what Every class I teach, people are like, hey, how do I get these videos? So, yeah, just send me an email and I'll send you. I got them all in, in Google Drive. And you know, Housley, I've sent you tons of stuff over the years. So yeah, happy much to share. Yeah, much appreciated. So, well, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy your time next week in the best state in all the land here. We got a lot of deep <laughs> snow for you. Just uh, after you spend a week here, go home, right? Don't stay. So okay. <laughs> um, go back to the South. Yeah, so- yeah. Um, we appreciate everybody out there spending your valuable time with us. Please rate, review, and share the show. That's the only way that this thing is going to grow. Um, and uh, for sure, reach out to us at Firefighter Craftsmanship. You can follow us on link, uh, LinkedIn or um, Instagram or on Facebook or hit our website at firefightercraftsmanship.com. Lots of free resources there. Um, and hit up Sean, FF Sean Gray at gmail.com. Um, and we really, really appreciate it. So, Smash on that follow button. You'll never miss one of these weekly podcast episodes released every Wednesday. And stay smart. Thank you for listening to the Firefighter Craftsmanship Podcast, where we give you real tools to train ultimate human performance both on and off the emergency scene. You can find more information on our webpage at firefightercraftsmanship.com, including all the classes that we offer. And there's plenty of free resources and training on the site as well. Reach out to us on social media, including Instagram and Facebook. We'd love to have a conversation and figure out how we can help you achieve your goals. Stay smart. Stay smart.